you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs this summer. We may come back to Acts, uh, but now that we're here in the new facility, new uh, season of life uh, in this church, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs over the next several weeks. And uh, before we get there this morning, there was a man that was driving one day, and uh, as he was traveling on the road going over the speed limit, uh, he saw the red and blue lights and... uh, So the officer pulled him over on the side of the road and uh, tapped on the window. He said, can I see your license? Well, said to the officer, my license expired after my seventh accident. He said, okay, well, how about the registration? The guy said to the officer, he said, well, I don't have the registration, but when I put the handgun in the glove compartment, I think I saw the registration. He said, wait a minute, you got a handgun in your vehicle? He said, well, yeah, I used it to... To knock off the old man whose car I stole. He's in the trunk. He said, wait a minute. You've got a handgun in the glove box. You've got a body in the trunk. You don't have a license or registration. And immediately he called for backup. And so within seconds, the car was surrounded by police officers. The captain came up and tapped on the window. He said, I'd like to see your license. Pulled it out and he said, well, here you go, officer. And the captain looked kind of puzzled. He said, well, do you have a... Uh, registration. He said, well, open the glove box really slow. And so the individual opened the glove box and sure enough, no handgun, hands him the registration. He says, do you, can you open the trunk for me? The guy slips out of his car, opens the trunk and it's empty. And the officer said, the captain said to him, he goes, I was told that you didn't have a license You didn't have your registration. You had a handgun in the glove box and a body in the trunk. And he said to the captain, he said, I bet that liar told you I was speeding as well. (laughs) So I'm not recommending that you try that. Um, but, But hey, you know what? It worked. Not a true story. So we're going to be talking about the good life from the book of Proverbs. How many of you know that God wants you to have a good life? That heaven is more than just a place where we sit around and say one day everything's going to be good. But that as you and I honor him, as we follow him, that he has, I believe, as a father, good things in store for his children. And so we have the book of Proverbs that there are a variety of different authors. But primarily uh, we see that the book of uh, Proverbs, by way of introduction, is written by Solomon, son of Davis, the wi- David, the wisest king to ever rule. He's the primary author of all three specific sections that represent 29 of the chapters. And a lot of the books of the Bible, they articulate deep spiritual truths. They talk about their narratives about failure, their narratives of triumph. We see the preaching of God's word in the book of Acts to people that are, that are disobedient. They're not following after God. But I love the book of Proverbs because it's kind of a book of just simple wisdom for everyday living. And how many of you know we need that because, you know, I don't make sometimes the best decisions in life. And so we have the book of Proverbs that God says, you know what, related to all kinds of situations and circumstances that, that are in this life, here is some wisdom that you can apply to specific areas. It's divided into three sections. The first section, chapters 1 through 9, it's writing about wisdom to younger people. Uh, chapters 10 through 24 is wisdom that's kind of applied to everyday living and then The last portion is wisdom related to leadership. A couple key verses from Proverbs. You don't need to turn there this morning, but Proverbs 1.5 says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. 
Proverbs 1.7, we see this phrase over and over. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Another key verse is Proverbs 4.5 that says, Get wisdom or pursue wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. And so in this series of, of messages, we're going to be teaching through a variety of different subjects in, in Proverbs about truth, friendship, fear, addiction, purity in our relationships. We're going to talk at one point about wealth and what the Bible says about that. But this morning, would you stand with me and please turn to Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 7. Proverbs 8, verse 7, as we talk about the subject of truth this morning. You'll see it on the screen. Proverbs 8, 7 says that my mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. So let's read this together this morning. My mouth speaks what is true, and my lips detest wickedness. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. But I pray that we would leave, first of all, encouraged by your word, realizing that your spirit is with us to help us accomplish what we cannot do on our own strength. And yet, Lord, at the same time, I pray you would challenge us from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Before we get to the subject of truth in the Old Testament, as I was thinking and preparing this week, I thought, where are some key verses in the New Testament related to truth? And immediately, two came to mind. The first is from the lips of Jesus in John 14, 6, where Jesus declares, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus says, not only am I truth, he says, I am the way. What is the way? Well, Jesus is the way to God. That's why we have the beam representing uh, that Jesus it gives us access to God in our logo. Someone in the community said this week, what's with the beam and the cross? And I said, Jesus is the way to God. That we believe Jesus, that we're, we're all about Jesus. And it also is an A if you look at it at the right angle. But that he's the way, the early church was known as followers of the way. So not only is he the way, not only is he the life, but he declares that he is truth. The second passage that I was thinking in the, in the New Testament is in the book of Ephesians where Paul says... And he's describing in chapter 6, verse 14, the armor of God, where it says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That this armor is, is given to you and I as followers of Jesus, that we're to put it on each and every day of our lives. And then the Bible says that we're to buckle truth. Now, how many of you have left your home for work or you've gone somewhere and you forgot at some point to put on your belt? And subconsciously, you're walking around and you're thinking, you know what, if I'm not careful... Things may come undone very quickly. If you're a parent, what you do is you roll the pants down. One, just a free tip. Roll the pants down, pull them up, and the kids are ready to go. But the Bible says that truth kind of holds things together. We're not simply talking about our clothing, but we're talking about our lives. Being a person of truth, being a person of character and integrity. Proverbs 8, 7, my mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. Easy to say, hard to do. And so I want to talk about why truth is so hard. It's difficult in our, in our world today. If Jesus says, I am truth, Paul says, buckle truth, it holds you together. It's like glue. It's like a belt that'll hold your life together. Why is it so difficult to be a person of truth in our culture today? Well, I think the first thing is, that to some degree, truth isn't encouraged in our society. 
As a matter of fact, James Patterson and, and Peter Kim set out to write a book, The Day America Told the Truth, in 2009, and they came to the conclusion with their research that 91% of Americans lie. So they, they also came in their research to, to the conclusion that basically one out of five people can't get through a single day being entirely truthful. And so you can make the case and say it's just part of our American t- culture. Not everybody, you know, is truthful. We, we can be deceitful at times. Sociologists say that you hear or see approximately 200 lies on average each and every day of our life. We've become a society of, to some degree, that's just what we expect. I called a business in town this week and had a question about something and they said, well, we'll give you a call by the end of the day. And immediately, the first thing that came to mind was, well, hopefully I hear back from them on Friday. I mean, we just typically tell people what they want to hear when they want to hear it. We see it in politics, for sure. I mean, how many of you have been watching TV before? And you don't have to raise your hand, but immediately, a politician's either in a news conference or they're being asked just a question, and they give an answer, and immediately, they're like, that's not, that's not the truth. So you get on your phone, you get on your smartphone, you fact check it and find completely contradictory statements that they made six weeks or a year ago. Many people, they just take things at face value. They don't research things and they just kind of simply say, I'll just go with the flow. And the book of Proverbs talks quite a bit about the life of a fool. We see this in the area of business for sure. That there are people that you know, in their pursuit of getting to the top, whatever the top is, that they're not honest in business. They cheat, they lie, they steal. In the competitive business uh, nature that we, we find in our country, just trying to kind of make a quick buck. There are complete industries, things like cash advance places, rent-a-centers, and to some degree, credit card companies, that I would say and submit to you that I believe that many of them are rooted in deception. What they want to do is they want to prey on people that are not fully informed. And so we see it not only in politics, we see it in, in, in uh, you know, these businesses and so forth. My first job as a teenager, I worked for a, a credit card company in town selling credit cards over the phone because it was just the place that paid the most. And as a 16-year-old, I would sit with a headset and I'd sell these things. And, you know, at the end of the summer, I just was really conflicted, even as a teenager, because I thought... Here I am selling credit cards to people that I don't believe they fully understand what they're getting into. We see it in advertising, I mean, for sure. Watch TV for 10 minutes. Buy this cologne, buy this shaving cream. And when you use it and you walk down a hallway, all of the women are going to flock to you. They're all going to turn. They're all going to notice you. If you wear these socks, ladies, you'll be sexy. You'll be smarter. You'll... Get a better job. You'll have a bigger smile on your face. You'll have a better marriage. People respect and notice you. And it's absolutely ridiculous if you really think about it. Why do advertising companies do this? It works. It really does work. We think of social media today and all the profiles that you can set up. It's it's Facebook. It's it's Instagram. it's, It's LinkedIn. And it's for me to be me. And then many teenagers and young adults, what do they do? They set the profile up and they lie about their age. I would say that we're a culture that operates in deception and deceit. It has permeated our society 
in virtually every sphere of influence. And it's encouraged to some degree in our nation. But it's much bigger than our society. It's evident in our world today. Dr. Leonard Keeler, when he invented the lie detector, the polygraph test, he initially interviewed many, many years ago, 25,000 people. And after that, his diagnosis was basically that people simply lie around the world today. That it's not just an American problem, but it's a sinful nature problem. It's, it's who we are. It's at the core of humanity is dishonesty. You pick up your Bible and read through the book of Genesis, and you'll see even from the beginning of the pages of Scripture, the rippling effect of, of lying, deception, and a lack of truth because it's part of a sinful nature. Which is why the Bible says that our hearts in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things, beyond cure. Who can understand it? Kind of like women. Just kidding. (laughs) Father's Day next week. (laughs) Looking forward to it. I would say that it's not just an American problem. It's a problem that we face in our world, but then... There's a daily battle for truth, and it's way bigger than ourselves. It's called spiritual warfare, good versus evil, light versus dark, Satan versus God. Call it what you want, but you and I, I believe, are in a daily battle, a spiritual battle for truth in our lives. The Bible says that God's the father of truth and that the enemy of our soul is the father of lies, that Satan's character, his makeup, his nature is dishonesty. And that you and I, on a daily basis, we've got to be people that fight and stand for truth. Because the enemy in so many of our lives, if you're not careful, what he'll do is he'll feed you all kinds of things. And the tragedy is that many Christians, they're not rooted and and grounded in God's word. And so they buy the lies of the enemy that say, you're not gifted enough, you're not smart enough, you'll never recover from this sickness or disease, you'll never get over it. God doesn't love you, you're alone, no one cares about you. God can't forgive that secret sin in your life. You can't do anything, God won't provide for you. He won't come through for you. Fear is just part of who everyone is, so you're never going to win the battle of fear. And it's all lies, it's all deception from the enemy. And if you and I are not rooted in in God's word, this spiritual warfare that Paul talks about in Ephesians, this battle for truth, you and I can potentially lose that if we're not careful. And unfortunately, there are some that take on the dishonest nature in a dishonest culture instead of what I believe God says is that you're to stand for truth at all costs. You know, God doesn't talk a whole lot in his word about hating things. But when I was thinking this week, the Bible actually says that he's repulsed by dishonesty. Proverbs 11.1, that the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. When you read through the Gospels, if you really think about the life of Jesus, this would be a good Father's Day message, but I'm not going to go there next week. When was the time that Jesus was the most irate? He was the most frustrated. He was expressing basically how he felt. It was in the temple courts, right? It was more than just that it was a house of prayer and that there were these business deals that were taking place. But what was happening is they were being dishonest. They were ripping the people off in the temple. 
And it provoked Jesus to the point that he's literally flipped. I mean, we think of love and grace and mercy and, you know, doves and flowers and lambs and all of that thing. But, but think of Jesus flipping over dishonest tables. Think of him picking up a cord and he's literally thrashing that thing around because he's irate that the dishonesty is taking place within the temple. Why is truth important? What are some of the benefits to truth? Well, I believe that truth builds character. It develops character. When you're dishonest, whether it's at home with a spouse, whether it's in your place of employment, you lose character. But when you stand and you represent truth, you grow in character. But the the difficulty is a lot of times we're more concerned about reputation over character. So you can hear, well, reputation. Yeah, I've got a good reputation. People like me. Reputation, we think five out of four stars. We think of Amazon reviews. We think of what other people say about X, Y, and Z. And that's not character. You surround yourself with enough people that will pat you on the back and tell you all of your strengths and forget to challenge you in your areas of weaknesses. At the end of the day, if you're not careful, if you're not guarded, you can walk away and say, my reputation is my character. And God says, no, please know that your reputation and your character are two completely different things. Character is who you are when no one's around. It's not connected to what your son or your daughter says about you. It's not connected to what your pastor says about you. It's who you are at the end of the day when the lights are out, doors are closed, you're at home in the privacy of your own home. It's who you are. Don't buy the lie that says, Character is the same as as reputation. They're two very different things. But when you pursue truth, when you're a person that embraces truth, you develop Christ-like character. The reason character is so important is because the Bible says it's actually one of the things that you take with you into eternity. But parents, you pass this on to your children. Proverbs 27 that the godly walk with integrity, blessed are their children after them. Now, you may not have children, but as a father of four, let me tell you, at the end of the day, I would love to have my children say, you know what, my dad or my mom or my grandparents are people of, of character, they're people of truth. Could you imagine what it would do to your heart as a father or a grandfather that you heard your son or your daughter or your child say behind closed doors, don't don't believe, you know, he's, he's always just kind of, it's not really, you, you just let it, just ignore it. How, what an insult would that be? And yet on the other hand, what does it do to God, our Father, who says, you know what, pursue truth, stand for truth, when you and I try to and strive to align our lives with him? Well, it develops our character. The second thing is it deepens our spiritual roots. It deepens our spiritual roots. Ephesians 4.15, Paul goes on to say, instead we hold to truth in love, becoming more and more like Christ in every way. That that's the goal. That you and I, we want to grow and be rooted in Christ and more and more each and every day. One of the questions that people ask quite often is something along the lines of, how do I grow closer to God? How do I deepen or develop my relationship with God? I want to grow in my daily walk with God. One of the answers, not that I'm the Bible answer man, but one of the the answers that I'll say is Ephesians 4. It says, hold to truth in love. Be an honest person. 
read God's word as our standard for living. Say, you know what? Without the power of the Holy Spirit, I mean, the reality of us being able to do the vast majority of this stuff on our own strength is just absolutely impossible. But realize that God gives you his will. He equips you with his spirit and that the goal is to be like him. That the goal is to be a person of truth. That you hold on to truth. It'll deepen your spiritual roots. As a parent, I think all of us have those moments that are almost like they're frozen in time. If you were to sit down at home, you could probably write some of those down. I remember about a year or two ago, I was putting our, our girls uh, to bed, and I was laying with Alara, and, and at one point, this is one of the moments. She said, Dad, I want to be like you when I grow up. And I thought, ah. And while on the inside I smiled, I was conflicted as well because I thought, you know what? My daughter wants to strive to be like me. I better not screw up. What does it do to the heart of God that he says, you know what? I, I, I created the heavens and the earth. I created and know you by name better than you know yourself, better than your spouse knows you. What does it do to the heart of God when he says, walk in truth, strive to be a person of character, and that our hearts fully, not in general, but every day you wake up and you say, God, my desire is to be like you today, to walk in truth, to live an honest life. It'll deepen your spiritual roots. The third thing is that it builds confidence. Proverbs 11.6 says, Honesty will keep you safe, but if you can't be trusted, you trap yourself. That when you live an honest life, that when you tell the truth, at the end of the day, people trust you, they admire and they'll respect you at home, at work. But have you ever been in, in and all of us have these friendships, you ever been uh, with a friend and they're sharing a story with you and as they're telling the story, they're like, listen, this part's the truth. And you're like, at what point did we cross from not truth to truth in this story? Like 50% of the joke was not true, 100% of the joke. But the Bible says that when you're a person of truth, when you're a person of character and integrity, that there's, that there's confidence there. Mark Twain says, if you always tell the truth, you really don't need to remember anything. But there are so many people that they get wrapped up in dishonesty that they're constantly trying to keep track of what I said, what I didn't say, where I was, where I wasn't, and all of those things, husbands and wives, it happens in your marriages. It happens at your job. And when you're a person of truth, it will build confidence. So let's get practical. What are some things that you and I can do to strive to be people of, of truth? Other than just say, yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah, it's in our world today. Yep, it's part of our sinful nature. But now we're, we're new creation in Christ. So we're either going to be a person of truth or we're just going to kind of blend in with the flow of society. So what do what do we do? Not that you do it on your own strength, but what do you allow the Holy Spirit to do through you when it comes to this area? The first thing's tough, is that you've got to assess truth in your life. And none of us like assessments, I mean, really. Because to have a good assessment, you've got to be what? Honest with yourself. Many times we want to deceive ourselves. So you've got to be able to assess 
truth in your life? Am I truthful in my relationships? Am I untruthful at work? Because there are many that, and, and you see this a lot of times uh, with, with, I don't want to, uh, with, with younger people in general, that they get so wrapped up into dishonesty in their relationship with their parents that really it's clouded their idea of truth. And I would say to you that culture changes, people change, the world's going to change. And the Bible, really, if you read about it, doesn't talk about it getting much better. But truth doesn't change. God's word never changes. So how do you and I be people of truth? Well, you've got to assess truth in your life, and you've got to attack it head on. If you go into the doctor's office with a sore throat, they're not putting a cast on your leg. They're not going to schedule, you know, an MRI, but they're going to go straight for the strep test. They're going to attack the problem. And I would say to you, this area of assessment is important in our lives. Am I dishonest at home? Am I dishonest at work? Because if you don't attack it head on, what, what you want to do is say, well, Zach is just part of my job. It's just part of, it's my dad's fault. It's my mom's fault. It's part of the culture that we live in. It's just small, insignificant white lies. And I would say to you, that's not God's best. God's best is for you to attack root issues head on. Because when I read God's word, to me, a lot of times it's a mirror and it's pointing right at me. And what we want to do in this area of truth is say, okay, it's your fault. Yep, his fault. Yep. An American issue. But you address those issues head on. So, how do we assess it? Let me give you just a couple examples because at the end of the day, my job's not to assess your life. I mean, really. The Holy Spirit's the one. When we take communion today, you're going to say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to my life? Is there any dishonesty in me? Is there any offense? Is there any root issue that I need to deal with? I can give you a couple examples. And we'll have fun for a, minute, for a minute or two. Are you dishonest in making other people feel good? You ever have somebody come up to you and they say, hey, I've been losing a lot of weight. And you're looking and you're thinking, in your feet? <laughs> Can you tell? Can you tell? And you're like, absolutely. You look great. Is that the truth? Well, Zach, they walked away and they felt good. Is it the truth? It's not. Truth isn't important. Their feelings are important. No, truth is important. Be honest with people. You don't have to say, maybe it's just my glasses, but I haven't noticed. I mean, you don't have to insult somebody. But there are ways to say things that are truthful without... You know, bring the person to tears. How about in the area of gossip? You ever been in a group before and all of a sudden they start talking about a person that you don't know? Just to be part of the conversation, you just kind of start sharing some hearsay things that you, you heard they said about this person, but you don't necessarily know that it's true. And you, so you just share it to just kind of, but you don't know that it's true. Is it true? Well, if you don't have the facts, I would say that it's not honest. How about exaggerating, men? Honey. Ah, oh, you should have saw the fish I caught. I mean, you know. 
because she got that tape measure. It was 24 inches. But honey, 36 inches. Just round it up, you know, 10. Ladies, you come home, your husband's like, oh, how was the mall? Oh, honey, it was great. I bought five pairs of shoes. Guess what? They're 75% off. You know in your mind they were 50% off. And, and let me give you two, ladies, pieces of information. First of all, your husband doesn't care about that. Bottom line, what's the damage? What's the dollar amount? Just one number is good enough. But you say that it's 75, but you know that it was 50%. Is that truthful? Is that honest? Absolutely not. It's exaggerated. How about you when you don't say anything? When I was a kid, every once in a while, my parents would go out when we were a little bit older. They'd leave me, Jake, and Aaron at home. They'd say, don't watch movies or don't watch TV while we're gone. And so we'd play, we'd do our thing, and eventually Aaron would say, did mom say we're not allowed to watch TV? I loved her, right? Love watching her get in trouble. Mom and dad come home, TV's on. She gets in trouble. Zach, did you say anything? No, not really. Withholding the truth. It's not truthful. It's easy on your taxes when you know you made 100000 to write 20000 and that's black and white, right? I mean, that's just clear as day, 100% not truthful. But if you're honest with your income, but you choose to not write in lines 12 and 13, and you leave a couple of those things blank, withholding the truth. It's a form of dishonesty. It's a... It's deceit. It's not honoring to God. Deceit, it's when you disguise the truth. There's a piece of information that sounds true, but it's not really true. So two years ago, I'm driving down, uh, I don't know why I'm sharing a bunch of stories today, but forgive me. Driving down Wapalini Drive near our house. 25 miles an hour. Last person to drive that was probably a 75-year-old lady 15 years ago. I mean, just nobody drives 25 miles an hour. But I'm trying, you know, going 36 or 7, and I'm on my phone. And the officer sits at the same spot, like, every day. I mean, he just, like, lives there. And I know that, because I live right around the corner. But anyway, I'm driving along in my automobile, and (laughs) red and blue lights behind me. And so I pull over. Don't judge. You've been pulled over, too. (laughs) So I pull off into my street because it's right down the road i'm the i'm the guy that got pulled over in front of my house hang up the phone i'm like let's get the license out let's get the registration out get the registration out officer comes up license and registration i hand it to him he says mr mcdonald were you on your cell phone and the first thing that came to mind was nope (laughs) cha-ching save 150 dollars you know warning but as soon as that thought came to mind, I thought, Zach, that's not, that's not truthful. He would never know. It's not like he's going to ask for my phone. I said, officer, I was, I was on the phone. Not texting, I was talking. And he said, just to rub salt in the wound even more, he said, well, if you weren't on your phone, I probably would have given you a warning. But because you were distracted, I'm going to 
going to write you a ticket. hundred and whatever dollars later, I laid down at night, put my head on the pillow, and realized, you know what? I did the right thing. And that's more important than the ticket. Do we get it all right all of the time? Absolutely not. But it's deceit. It's withholding the truth. How about flattery? We'll just do one or two more. Flattery. We're in the lobby after service. Pastor Zach, great message. And you're thinking, it's 80 degrees out. Let's wrap this up. It's sun shining. Or you go to your boss at work and you say, oh, I just appreciate all the support you give me. Walk in same day, walk home in the, in the front door and your wife says, how was the day? And you're thinking, oh, I just wish I could slice that guy's tires. Telling people what they want to hear, when they want to hear it, so that they're happy. Not truthful, but let's go for the big one, our time. You know you're not supposed to talk on the phone at work, but the office isn't busy. So you make some personal phone calls at work. It's a form of dishonesty. It's 5 o'clock on a Friday. You're not allowed to check out until 5, but no one's around. It's 4.30, so you you leave early and write 5 on your card and realize it's not that big a deal. In God's eyes, it's not truthful. It's a form of dishonesty. These are just a couple examples, and I can't go and assess your life. That's not my job, but what I'm challenging you to do is when we take communion this morning, would you ask the Holy Spirit to guide and to direct you in this area of truth and integrity. Because God very seldom asks you and I to do what's easy. It's easy to take the other route, but God says, no, be a person of integrity. Second, very quickly, be deliberate with the decisions that you make. That every day, the conversations, the emails that you send, the, the decisions that you're making at work, be deliberate in, in those decisions. If you know that truth is not evident in our society, if you know that it's something that we battle, take things like James 1.9, very serious. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. There's nothing wrong with praying about decisions. There's nothing wrong with taking a deep breath and thinking about it because a lot of times we just want to go on the move. We want to make decisions. We want to make decisions. We want to make decisions. And, and many times it's in the busyness of life when we're just trying to keep things going that we, we sometimes choose to not do what is right and what is truthful. But when you're quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and you don't fly by the seat of your pants, many times the Holy Spirit will guide and, and has more permission in your life to help you make the right decisions. It'll get easier over time. Psalm 51, verse 6 says, You desire honesty from your heart, so you can teach me to be wise in my inmost being. Be deliberate in the decisions that you make. And then number three, establish accountability in your life. You know, part of God's working in our lives is that we have to have what I've challenged people over the years is to develop sharpening relationships with people. In the book of Proverbs, it says, iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You've got to get to the place in your life as the worship team makes their way back here. You've got to get to the place in your life that you develop these kind of sharpening relationships with people. It'll help you grow in your relationship with Christ. 
Don't surround yourself with people that always say yes. Don't surround yourself with people that always nod their heads. Don't surround yourself all the time with people that at the end of the day, their goal is to make you feel good. Find some significant friendships that want you to be good. And part of this is that you've got to take the step. I've got to take the step to say, I'm going to open my life to someone, someone that you trust, someone that you know at the end of the day, they want God's best for you. And they're going to tell you the truth whether you like it or not. Somebody that you love, someone that you trust, someone that you know wants God's best for you. And you've got to say, you know what? I'm going to allow you access to my life. What areas? All of them. All of them. And would you be a friend, would you be a Christian friend, a follower of Jesus, that I give you permission to examine my life, just as God's word, when we read it, examine, would you allow those people in your life that can speak the truth in love, knowing at the end of the day, you trust them, they want God's best for you, 